You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 153. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. See Stock. Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! Welcome to the first episode of 2019. We have made a full circle around the sun again. Yeah, very good. Well done, Andras. No, well, actually, it's not It's not a circle. It's an ellipse. But uh, yeah, you know mm. what I mean. <laughs> In any case, we're all here together, which is great because we haven't had this uh, kind of full stuff for a while. Yeah. 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 So it's a good start for the year. Happy New Year. Mm, happy New Year. Happy New Year, yes. everybody. Yes. Uh, and I also hope that uh, everybody's um, uh, had a good holiday season and haven't drunk too much. Or if they have drunk too much, they didn't have terrible hangovers. Uh, <laughs> because, because, guys, if you're still looking for a, c- a cure for hangovers, I've got bad news for you. There is no cure. <laughs> ah, and this is from personal experience or what? <laughs> No, but but you no, know, there's there's various uh, there is various really wacky uh, cures uh, around the world, and different countries offer their own things. But but actually, we we know that um, the dehydration is what causes uh, the the hangover symptoms, or most of them, like headache and dry mouth. Well... And so so the advice the advice really is to alternate alcohol drinks with water or soft drinks while on the night out, and then drink more water before going to bed. But we all know how that ends. I normally start with one glass of wine, one glass of water. After about second glass of wine, I'm like, "Fuck it, let's just all drink wine." <laughs> and um, but so the, there are. I, I just want to mention couples. So like the Scotland, they uh, Glaswegian butchers swear by the iron brew sausage. It's made by replacing water with Scotland's second national drink during the sausage making process. Oh, well, I so, don't want to offend any Scottish people <laughs> listening to this podcast, but and I like iron brew. But <laughs> um, yeah. if I'm hungover, I'm not sure I want that taste in my mouth. Oh yeah, yeah. I um, think because the, it can the, it can lead to <laughs> terrible <laughs> puking incident. Yeah. How about how about Germany? They have something called Katerfrustuk, which translates as Tomcat's breakfast. It's a raw pickled herring wrapped around gherkin and onion. Germans insist it works. Sounds With legit. With the salt in the brain replacing lost electrolytes. Well, not sure about that. I mean, I love herring. I don't know, raw pickled herring, maybe. And <laughs> <laughs> um, um, Finland swears by the healing effect of sauna, and many choose to sweat out the hangover sitting naked with their friends and family in the boiling wooden box. The temperatures typically range between the 70 degrees Celsius and 100 degrees Celsius, and it is traditional to beat one another with a bundle of fresh birch <laughs> branches. By the way, the, the, birch, the birch branches business is also very much Russian tradition as well. My, my dad used to make min sauna in our little house, um, in a, 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 a summer house, and he'd be like there with my brother beating each other with branches. It's a weird tradition, I think. But anyways, as the Finnish... <laughs> Beating each other with stuff. That's a weird yeah. tradition, yeah. Yeah, b- b- birch branches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a weird one. So, and then, but there is a Finnish proverb that goes something like this. 
if a sick person is not cured by tar spirits or sauna, then they will die. But actually, some experts advise against sauna when you hang over because the warning is that taking a sauna after heavy night can cause drop in blood pressure and abnormal heart rhythms, which probably what my thought is, you know, <laughs> I don't you're already feel... you're already dehydrated why why would you want to exp- I, know. Oh, I don't know oh, and my, my my favorite one of course is italy i don't know if you have heard that one guys a renowned sicilian hangover cure is a dried bull penis is uh, which is high in protein vit- vitamins and minerals and supposedly helps to increase energy levels animal penises are also rich in collagen which is beneficial for skin and are used as an aphrodisiac in many cultures so there we go poor 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 bulls Um, (laughs) it reminds me of something that actually in sicily on one day they butchered 450 i think it wasn't bulls i think they were oxen but still 450 animals on the same altar uh, king heron's altar and it's in syracuse so now it it actually starts making sense. Do you think they butchered them for for their penises? <laughs> yeah, because it's it's only it's only the testicles that are affected by castration, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. The penis stays stays in place. So it might have been that. So it could be that long a tradition. And now I'm starting a rumor. Ha ha! The skeptical guide. Hashtag skeptical guide. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag uh, bull penis is best for hangover. <laughs> oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! <laughs> Talking about catchy hashtags, <laughs> right? Okay, but, but there you go. So I don't know how much people should take that on board <laughs> and well, start store and what? start storing dry penises and and raw herring. But uh, you know, yeah. it's something to think about. Yeah, I guess. don't hit yourself with uh, with bull penises. <laughs> don't hit yourself with bull penises. That's <laughs> yeah. You have to make, you have to make sure you don't confuse the different remedies here. I think. I think the common thread here is actually you make the the so-called remedy so bad that you will never get drunk again. That's how you cure the hangover. <laughs> Do you think that's where it's all going? Fair enough. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah I, I, have, I have this friend who uh, we were very, very young. It was like 15 years ago. And uh, he got so hungover the next day that uh, he kept from then on, he kept saying, I will never drink again. And then I did for two weeks. <laughs> so it's 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 about that long that it lasts that will to avoid that kind of situation. Yeah, I think we we've all I think we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But have you had too much this uh, New Year's Eve? No, no. Personally, I've had uh, just uh, enough. <laughs> yeah, just the right amount. Yeah, the right amount. Yeah. Yeah, I think older you get, you think, is it really worth it? Because the pain is just so bad. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah. yeah, and it's really cool that science has a lot to say about why we are hungover, but there is no one thing that causes this set of symptoms. It's a very complex thing. One of them is dehydration, but. My my favorite thing I read about it is uh, that even the immune system has something to do with it, mm-hmm. so that it reacts to something that it's it's like it's like a poison. Yeah. Does it does it just decides to pack pack and go like <laughs> goodbye? <laughs> yeah, it's like oh 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 oh, there's something wrong going on. There's there's some kind of poisoning happening here, and ah. imagine that if it's repeatedly coming in then obviously your body will adjust ah it's it's ah, terrible yeah all right 
But you haven't got any New Year resolutions regarding drinking, have you? I don't have any New Year resolutions full stop. I think full stop. They're, yeah. That's a wise Yeah, thing. they're they're rubbish. They just yeah. People never stick to my, them. <laughs> my New Year's resolution is to not make promises I can't keep. Yeah. So. Yeah, but even if it's in a very arbitrary thing to to point at one particular day and say that this is the the first day of the year, when that changeover happens, then obviously you want to uh, have a, a, a clear board and uh, you clear out everything in your life that it's that hasn't worked well. Uh, so I do understand your, the, the, the urge to make New Year resolutions, but it's like, I'm not seeing anything. I'm not making any of them. What I do is I try to focus on what hasn't been going well, and I try to improve them. Without saying it to anyone. But this is probably the most, um, not meaning, well, meaningful appro approach to life in general, just rather than pro procla proclaiming this or the other and never following through. But why Why it's, it's uh, probably still a good idea to express some of them, what you would like to change, yeah. is that that will mean, mean that you have an extra motivation yeah. because now you've announced it, yeah. so you don't want to make a fool out of yourself. Mm, yeah, I found it never worked with me. I'm like, I'm announcing something and then I don't follow through and I'm like, eh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't mind just, making a fool of yourself. Yeah, That's nice. No, no, really, because I think... Yeah, it's not very motivational for me. I don't have that much pride. I'm like, mm, like, I don't, yeah. But I know that some people would. They'd be like very precious about stuff like that. Have you ever had uh, Edzard Ernst New Year resolutions on his blog? No. No? <laughs> really cool. They are absolutely reasonable. It, it They all concern his approach to complementary and alternative medicine, how people are spreading bullshit and how he goes against them and tries to, to argue with them. And he he tries, he, he says, I'll try to be nicer. <laughs> 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 I think... I think this is a good one, actually. We should all try to be nicer. I know we, we're trying to combat the, the nonsense and promote critical thinking, but whilst doing that, we could, we could be nice. We, we should do it nicely, yes. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that, like don't call people idiots because that normally doesn't change minds. Yes, that's true. That's true. And uh, we've, we've all been there and occasionally we, we all fall into that trap that obviously... We get angry, we get wound up, and uh, this is what it leads to. So, but uh, he says uh, number five of his new resolutions is cover more areas of alternative medicine, which is uh, which is an interesting thing. Because he normally concentrates on homeopathy quite a bit. Uh, yes. So we'll see. That, yeah, that's a, that's but... a good one to follow, I think. But also, he he does a lot of chiropractic, acupuncture, and that kind of stuff. So I don't think it's that necessary. But it's very interesting that he, on uh, point six, he says, report more positive results. But then he adds, the problem is that there are very few sound studies with positive findings, but I will try. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But, but I just wanted to mention that, or to ask you, do you think it's a better approach for skeptics to try and and move a bit closer to the other side in terms of showing positive results as well and trying to deepen the argument in terms of uh, sort of mo mo make it more detailed in that regard because communication wise i don't think it's the right way to follow mm -hmm. 
because you have to make it as as simple as possible, right? I don't know. Nothing is ever simple, though. I think people try to simplify things, but I think we're following it. It's not a good path to take. Yeah, um, but sure. what we're up against is an oversimplification of everything. And obviously, we want to make it clear to everyone that the world is a bit more complicated than that. But if you do that, you risk losing your audience. Because they say, ah, no, nah, ah. mm. too long, didn't read. Mm. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, talking about <clears throat> attention spans now is like one headliner and that's it. And if it doesn't grab you, forget it. When was the last time you guys ever read an article all the way through? I mean, okay, I we don't do. count because we have to do it. <laughs> we, we, have to, we have to prepare for the research. But actually, if you, if you if, think outside of the um, uh, podcast, you know, I'm trying actually to um, read articles from the actual newspapers so i go into the web, newspaper website or i've got like an app on my phone and i start reading it and i can't finish i just do not have an attention anymore i just get so like no no no, that's too long yeah and so i don't, I don't know how do you get people back to the place where, where they have to put effort? of course it's different of course it's different i mean when i grew up there was the morning paper and that was your uh, that was the news and I was probably too young f to to be interested. I mean, my my father he read the whole bloody thing because that was the source of news. Now you have so many outlets all over the place. You're bombarded, yeah. So you can't focus on one thing like that. Yeah, yeah, mm. that's true. Now the first thing in the morning you do is what? Go to Facebook. <laughs> Except me, I don't go to Facebook because I'm not on Facebook anymore. But um, a lot of people do. Yeah. That's what yeah. they do for the first half an hour, like every morning. Yeah, that's that part of the morning routine. It's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and then you can wake up. Pretty poor, eh? Now, I think this next level for us would be to create beautiful chats and pictures to get people engaged. <laughs> Put yeah. them on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what hasn't happened to me for a long, long time is read a book cover to cover. I did. I read chapters of books. I read something that I know that that's in there that I need either for my work or my skeptical activities. Mm. But mostly what I read is articles of newspapers, articles online. But I tend to read them all the way through unless I, I find it absolutely boring or useless um, in the middle of it, because then I, I won't spend the time. But otherwise, I will try to read through it. But uh, yeah, that's what I miss the most, reading books. I have to say, well, since giving up Facebook, Facebook, I did read more books. Well, I started reading, actually. I've, I've got a few books on the go. And I finished one. It's not nothing to do with skepticism. It's called Even Cowgirls Get the Blues. It's a great book. I can recommend it to anyone. And it's actually small enough to to finish as well. <laughs> as well. That, that must be key. Yeah, must be key. Yeah. I am reading three or four books right now. I'm trying to get through them but obviously my work gets in the way all the time all right we've established that uh, the year has already started and we have no idea what we will change how we'll <laughs> how will things work out in the end but uh, we'll talk about all that um, in the end of the year at the end of the year we can all find out what we've achieved or haven't achieved but I suggest we crack on with the show. Yeah, let's do this. Good idea. And as always, the best way to do it is with Yelena talking about something that happened this week in Skepticism. Yeah. 
Okay, dokie. So we have all heard, or a lot of people heard, of um, the young Earth creationists. I mean, I think they're mostly based in America, but anyways. So those people who think that the Earth is 6,000 years old. And um, I didn't know up to recently where it was coming from. And apparently it came from a guy called James Usher, who was born on the 4th of January, 1581. And he was uh, the Church of Ireland Archbishop of Arma and primate of all Ireland. Jesus fucking Christ. Um, and, Sounds uh, like he was he, a monkey, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was from... <laughs> we're all monkeys, so a, I guess it's true. We're not, actually. Sorry, we're primates. We're uh, primates, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So this, this Irish guy, uh, he came up with, uh, with the um, date, uh, and he established the time and date of creation. Please note, down to the day the actual day. And at the time, he did a lot of bloody research, I have to say. So he um, was obsessed with providing an accurate biblical history. <laughs> and this obsession came from a desire to establish the superiority of the scholarship practiced by the clergy of his reformed faith over that of the Jesuits. And uh, Asher committed himself to establishing a date of creation that uh, could withstand any challenge. Well, we now know that it, it didn't really, because <laughs> um, we know that the Earth is over 4 billion years old. So, uh, sorry about that, Asher. He located and studied thousands of ancient books and manuscripts uh, written in many different languages. And by the time of his death, he had uh, amassed a library of over 10,000 volumes. So he did do his research, but it was somewhat also cherry-picking research, because Bible at the time had very, very many books. Uh, some of those books contradicted each other. And so he stuck to one version of it. And he said, okay, I'm going to base it on that. And did his calculations. So let me just um, try uh, and explain how he got to the 6,000 years. So he believed in the literal truth of the Bible. And assuming that a biblical year would have uh, had 365 years uh, days, he dated Noah's flood to 2,349 BC and worked back from there to calculate that God created the world in October of 4,004 BC. Asher explained that the date depended on which text of the Old Testament was used and the time from the flood back to the creation, according to his calculations, was 1,656 years in the Hebrew text. He took the Hebrew text as an authoritative uh, and obviously more superior than, for example, Ethiopic text and Samaritan Pentateuch. I don't know how to say that. And so he, he decided that, that that's the correct one, which is a very um, biased decision, I, I think. But anyways, and um, of course, um, this all fell apart very quickly as soon as the science gathered force and we start dating things. But this is where it's all coming from. And um, the young uh, Earth creationists uh, took his uh, dating very seriously. Um, and they still believe um, that the Earth is only 6,000 years old. Um, and they can point at all these um, various points in, in the Bible and, and use Usher's uh, chronology, despite of the fact that even uh, within the church, this chronology is disputed. And the, there were other people after Usher who's, who said that, that actually, no, it's much older. So there we go. Um, if if you didn't know, guys, this is where it was all all coming from. And at the time, as I, as 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 I said um, before, he did do a lot of research. So he was a bit of a you know he didn't just kind of 
pointed his finger in the air. Um, he read a lot of books, but it, it, they were all a bit, you know, he had an agenda. So yeah, it's it's very easy to dismiss just offhand what Usher said in his chronology. He came up with a date that is uh, in four four thousand four BC. But did you know that? Either even uh, scientists or people we now consider science proper scientists, uh, like Johannes Kepler and Sir Isaac Newton, came up with uh, chronology. Yes, yes, yeah, that was. And do you know what the the date they brought it down to was? Surprisingly similar. I think I think Newton's was around four thousand yeah. BC. Kepler was yeah, almost yeah. the same. It, it, so they all came to the same conclusion. Yeah, it's amazing. In eh? the 17th century. Yeah. So, yeah, it's pretty extraordinary, really. I mean, um, and they, I guess they were doing their best at the time. Yeah. Uh, given the resources and, um, I guess, evidence, you know, by reading books and, yeah. Yeah, science, science could work with the evidence they had at the time. And this is why the onset of geology was what changed everything. Like Charles Lyell, who was the author of uh, The Principles of Geology, and uh, his contemporaries, uh, by the way, and that was the book that uh, Charles Darwin based his theories on, that uh, Lyell said that the, the chronology of the Earth is um, on a, a much longer period. So there have been times that we cannot even imagine they happened that long ago. And uh, I, I think that was the revolutionary thing about the onset of geology. And uh, that led to all, everything like uh, the theory of evolution and, 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 and the like altogether. So they had to find uh, very old strata where, where they had the fossils and everything that, that led to the same conclusion that the Earth is much older than 4,000 years BC. And uh, I think it's brilliant. I think it shows how science slowly but surely improves our knowledge and moves forward. Uh, so it's brilliant. So, yeah, I, I suggest we don't just dismiss everything that Asha said offhand we have to understand the context of it as well. Yeah, but um, so the, the 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 thing is though, he's he's the dating um, still is being used now, uh, like I mentioned, and um, some of the politicians, um, American politici politicians uh, who are uh, Christians, yeah. still believe that the Earth is six thousand years old, and um, they wouldn't say it outright, but they would. Um, present these two theories, the 6,000-year-old theory and uh, the 4 point whatever billion, as two legitimate things. Oh, we, we don't really know which one's... No, yeah. we fucking do know which one is now the correct uh, way to, 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 to measure the the, um, the age. Yeah, yeah. So um, I don't know how many years should pass or generations when we finally dismiss the, the, the inaccurate Usher's uh, statements and then accept the current scientific consensus. But I guess uh, when it comes to politics, they, there is other um, considerations in, at play <laughs> yeah. when, they, when they're yeah. trying to appeal to a certain demographic. All right. Thank you very much, Yelena. All right. Okay. Nice. Next up, I think... Now that we've talked a lot about uh, religious context, uh, why don't we turn our sceptical eyes towards uh, what's going on in the Vatican? So, Pontus, have you got something to poke the Pope for this week? 
Did he become an atheist? <laughs> not yet. Not yet. We're still waiting for that. He did start the new year, though, just like we did with different things. I don't know if he had a hangover, but uh, he started by celebrating the World Day of Peace on 1st of January in the so-called Angelus prayer, which is when he, that's what it's called, when he appears there in the window yeah. uh, at the Vatican and talks out to the St. Peter's place. As, and he talked not about anything that, you know, we would expect him to talk about, like how are we going to fix all the problems we have in the church, blah, blah, blah. He talked about the family. And the family is where the where peace starts. So it's the world day of peace. And if you have peace at home and with your family, nothing can go wrong, really. And that would probably end all wars, which is interesting. Um, I, I don't agree that that's, it's that simple, but of course I'd like to be nice to my family so I can be on board with that one. Uh, but in his own family, though, if we look at the Vatican and the Holy See as a family, uh, there is still there is not it's not so peaceful. Only the day before, on thirty first of December, his official spokesman and the deputy spokesman announced on Twitter that they were both would both resign effective January first, uh, which is rather short notice, don't you think? And this is, seems to have come as a surprise also internally in the Vatican. And it immediately sparked speculation of disagreements internally and as maybe it's also could be a part of preparations for, for the coming February summit on uh, clergy sex abuse and the ongoing canonical investigation into how formal uh, Cardinal Theodore McCarrick could advance through the ranks despite all the allegations of sexual misconduct. So they need to prepare for, you know, ramp up their PR, basically. And that's why they have to replace these spokesmen. And uh, of course, there are other things as well. We have the ongoing investigation of 300 priests in Pennsylvania. 500 priests in Illinois uh, has joined them in that, uh, you know, infamous list of people who are now accused of of sexual abuse. And I'm not sure that... I haven't even had time to mention that. That's how fast it goes. And... Uh, it will not end there, I'm, I'm sure. And if, if we don't have all that, we also have the recent conviction of Cardinal Pell in Australia and his expected appeal of that, which probably happens after the next trial because he's going to another trial. So I think, yes, peace of Pope's family uh, certainly seems to need some attention. So maybe that's why he chose that topic. Hmm. I, I'm not very hopeful. I think there'll be more scandals and more <laughs> convictions. <laughs> yeah. And less peace. <laughs> yeah. 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 But why it's why families are very important for the Catholic Church is because they are the one producing all the kids <laughs> they can oh sexually God. abuse. <laughs> uh, well, yes. <laughs> That's, and you know the terrible thing about it, it is it's it, <laughs> not even a joke. It's not even. No, yeah. no, I know. It's a it's a terrible yeah. state of affairs. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's a good thing to have your own podcast <laughs> and and be able to say some things like that. Um, okay. Oh dear. Great. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thanks very much, Pontus, for poking the Pope once again. And uh, that means that we're moving on to covering a couple of news items or things to talk about around Europe. 
so let me start by saying that uh, you probably know that or probably suppose that I read Chikup's website quite often. Uh, Chikup being the, the Italian committee for the investigation of pseudosciences. And uh, they teamed up with a... With um, a company, an actual agency, a design agency that is absolutely outside the realm of science and scientific thinking and everything. So it's really cool. It's called uh, Fosbury and uh, they uh, started a campaign themselves. Uh, I think it's uh, mostly out of interest uh, of the members or the leaders of this company that they wanted to do something for science. And what they did was they started this campaign called Stand Up for Science. And uh, Stand Up for Science uh, ha has been welcomed and joined by Cheek Up as well. So what they do is they, came up, uh, they come up with uh, uh, design pieces that uh, say something in support of science. So the, the, there are a couple of uh, examples, like mm -hmm. uh, science is like magic, but real. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> it's, it's a nice slogan and it's a, it's a, a, fla a flashing banner that you can put on your website, for example. Or there is a rolling disc that says the earth is not flat, earth is not flat, earth is not flat. Or we've been to the moon in it's another flashing banner uh, for website. The universe is expanding. Climate change is real. So I think it's it's all cool. It comes from a geeky kind of background of one of the owners, um, I believe. But what's even even cooler than that, and obviously I will link to their website, is that they produce uh, T-shirts as well. And they sell those T-shirts with all those banners and slogans and everything. And 50% of uh, the income that comes from the, selling those T-shirts will go directly to supporting Cheek Up. Mm, great. So well done, Fosbury. Yeah. This is a great initiative. This is a great, great uh, slogan. Stand up for science. It's, uh, yeah, we've uh, recognized that from earlier campaigns by other organizations like uh, The Sense About Science, uh, uh, who did something very similar. But way to go, Fosbury. Way to go, Cheek Up. Uh, that's a great initiative that should be followed by many. Yeah, so if we stay in Italy, I think it's good that we have some positive uh, pro-science news from Italy because there are bad news as well from Italy. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. Uh, the head of the National Institute of Health, or ISS, uh, was uh, he did announce his resignation in December. And now he came out uh, in an interview in Corriere della Sera, one of the big papers there, on the 1st of January, explaining that he resigned because of the anti-scientific politics of the government, which is led by the far-right Northern League and the populist uh, Five Star Movement. So, yeah, the, the government in Italy is really uh, not pro-science, uh, and um, now people are protesting against that, and that's good. Hmm, yeah, and that's the, the, the Italian government not being pro-science, that's a bit of an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> They are trying anti-science, to be yeah, honest. Anti-science. <laughs> Pontus is trying to be politically correct. <laughs> yes, we said we would be nice, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. Sorry. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. True, true, Fair true enough. The, I've already forgotten about that, but like, yeah, you're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, your New Year's resolution already forgotten. There you go. <laughs> 
It lasted about 45 minutes. There you go, guys. I, I think we established that we're not making any new resolutions. <laughs> oh, yeah, we had that's right as well. All right, okay. <laughs> so I, uh, I want to mention uh, Ireland quite quickly um, because they have made uh, a step into the right direction along many other European countries. Um, and uh, they have finally uh, considering uh, opt-out organ donation law. Um, and uh, it's a long-promised legislation uh, governing consent for organ donation in Ireland. And it's expected to become uh, to come before cabinet for publication in the first quarter of this year. Over 12 years since it was first recommended to government. don't know what took so long, bloody hell. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, basically, the Human Tissue Bill sought to lay down framework to obtain the consent of parents and next of kin uh, for the removal of organs and was also to include for the first time an opt-out approach uh, whereby deceased person would be deemed to have consented to donate their major organs, including kidney, heart, lungs and liver. And um, because and the current system that they have there now, the decision rests uh, with the next of kin, even when the deceased um, had an organ donor, don donor card uh, or indicated that they wish to be an organ donor um, on their driving license. So the, um, the, the latest actually figures for organ donation in Ireland show that the number of deceased who donated organs fell from 99 in 2017 to 80 last year and um, there's still a, a lot of demand for, for the organs uh, uh, organ transplants of course out there so hopefully this new law will help that um, and actually you know what prompted the whole surge in this um, uh, and activity around it was the uh, documentary by um, uh, a cystic fibrosis campaigner called Ola Tinsley um, as she awaited and then received double lung transplant in New York um, and uh, I haven't seen that documentary, but uh, it sounds very inspirational. Uh, so the, the, um, it's, uh, the documentary is called Old Tinsley Warrior, and it's aired on RTE um, a few months ago. And um, the um, surge in the requests for an organ donor card uh, was incredible. Um, they, the, uh, there was more than 5,000 requests for Ogodona cards in the three days following this documentary. Um, and of course, uh, the, 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 uh, now we, we see the, the effect of it. So I think it's a little bit like a tipping point, really, as, as the, this documentary was made. And now the, the, hopefully the law will come into place and, um, it'll benefit everyone. Um, I'll, look out for this documentary to see if, it, if it's available elsewhere but i haven't seen it anywhere so far so but great um, great step in the right direction there's a lot of, lot of uh, good news from the from the irish uh, the these days with the you know abortion uh, gay rights and now this i wonder if we can borrow their uh, leadership for a while maybe send them to italy <laughs> Or it's really the the good examples that you want to follow, then uh, send them to Germany, mm -hmm. uh, where we have someone called Natalie Grams, who's the leading figure of the anti homeopathy um, campaigns and uh, Information Network Homeopathy. I still don't know how to pronounce it properly. It's the Homeopathy Information Network. But in Germany, there are um, a couple of bloggers who started uh, uh, founding an award, an influencer award, uh, called the Goldenen Blogger. 
And in 2018, uh, there have been a couple of nominees, among which there is Natalie Grams for nothing else but her Twitter account. Oh, really? So, yeah, there is such a category as uh, Twitter account of the year. Obviously, it's a way to influence audiences and people. And um, there are three nominees. One of them is Robin Alexander, who's an author. Uh, Sophie Passman. I don't know where she's what she's famous for, but I think she's um, a comedian, probably. And they have, Robin Alexander and Sophie Passman, Passman they have uh, a larger follower base. But, for example, which is interesting, Natalie Grams has 11,000 tweets, and those tweets got 50,000 likes even though her followers number at around 7,000, while the other contesters have much more followers, much fewer likes. And that's that's really cool. So that means that Natalie generates a lot of content and uh, starts a lot of interactions. So that is a way to influence. And uh, this, is, this is why, even though I don't understand 90% of what she posts about on twitter (laughs) but it looks like there is some very very good activity going on there and uh congratulations on doing that and well done keep doing it natalie we love your work and uh obviously we want to hear uh more of it in english but uh yeah that's probably something that is not necessarily on your priority list uh since you are doing this for the German audience, but we love to report on it. So uh, congratulations for for being uh, nominated. And uh, on January the 28th, there will be an awards ceremony where the actual winners will be announced. Mm. So yeah, Yeah. stay tuned for that. Uh, And of course, we we mentioned Natalie Gams also on the last uh, show, last episode, because of her book being translated into English, Homeopathy Reconsidered. I can see now that apparently it's been a little bit delayed. It was scheduled to be released on the 29th of December. Now on Amazon, it says it will be released on February 9th. But it is coming and you can pre-order it. Yes, and please do. Mm. Uh, She knows what she's talking about. After all, she used to be a homeopath herself. All right. Uh, I, you know, sometimes, uh, Anders, you accuse me of having a theme in my uh, my uh, news reporting, and, and today the theme apparently is governments who are not <laughs> scientific. So, because uh, in France, Greenpeace, Oxfam, and two French environmental groups have launched a petition. Uh, they launched that mid-December for calling uh, on uh, calling for a law- lawsuit against the French government for not living up to its climate change commitment. Mm. And just in a couple of weeks, uh, the online petition has already uh, gathered over two million signatures. So this means that it, there could be. A, a lawsuit coming. I don't know if it's guaranteed if there's a minimum uh, required or something, but it, there seems to be a good risk or chance that the French government is going to be sued for not keeping its environmental uh, commitment. And this is very similar to a lawsuit in in the Netherlands, which uh, the government lost, actually. I don't know what consequence it actually gets in real life, but I think it's good that people are are taking a stand for climate change because there's so much pseudoscience and, and, and misinformation about this, but it really is a thing and we need to do something about it. 
Exactly. So, mm. yeah, do it. Yes, <laughs> we'll follow this. Uh, in, but it's interesting to see how many signatures they got in just a few weeks. They got over 2 million signatures. Okay, so let's try to make some sense. And uh, it's important uh, to publish things in the reader's own language uh, so that uh, we can reach much more people. And uh, this is what happened recently with... Uh, a great author's book uh, that is none other than Edzard Ernst. And uh, we uh, mentioned much, much earlier that uh, he published a book with the title Scam, So-Called Alternative Medicine. It's really cool. It's a, it's a very nice play in the words because he made an acronym out of the word scam, yeah. which, um, which is really cool. So-Called Alternative Medicine. I really like that. And uh, now it's been translated into German, which is really cool when you consider that he's German himself, but he wrote the book in the first place in in uh, English. So yeah, uh, now it's available in German. Not available, actually, So, but it will come out on the 1st of February. And stay tuned for that. And if you are someone listening from Germany, please go and get your hands on that book. Uh, I'm pretty sure, especially because Edzard Ernst also knows his stuff about homeopathy and alternative medicine. He's He used to be a professor of complementary and alternative medicine, after all, at the University of Exeter and elsewhere. So, uh, yeah, make sure you don't miss that. Edzard Ernst, and the title is, I'll, I'll try to pronounce it, <laughs> Edzard Ernst Schmoo. Scheinmedizinscher Umfug. <laughs> okay. Well done. <laughs> uh, no idea. Points no, for the effort, anyway. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so we're now in Spain, uh, where they have um, had a, an award ceremony, and, and it's a prize called Mario Bohoslavsky Prize, who was a scientist who lived in Spain, um, and he did a good work in spreading the, um, the science, scientific knowledge and critical thinking. Anyway, so they, they named an award after him. And this award this year went to a mathematician called Clara Grima um, for writing a wonderful book um, called Mathematics Monitor Your Health. And um, so mathematics is a powerful tool that allows us to understand how a disease spreads and how we can put a stop to it. And and the models are simple and beautiful that lead us to um, indisputable objective conclusions about the development of infectious diseases and the importance of vaccination. Uh, amen to that. <laughs> um, hmm. And so um, uh, she's uh, written this book in collaboration uh, with another person, Enrica Fernandez Borja, and uh, she wasn't part. She isn't part of the uh, ARP Society for Advancement of Critical Thinking, uh, but she received this prize um, as as uh, as a cont contributor to um, spreading um, scientific knowledge and getting people on board um, for, for writing that book so um they they have uh, instituted this prize in 1996 and since then uh, uh, awarded it to uh, several scientists um and um educators um so well done clara grima and hopefully this book will be translated into english at some point and we can all read it as well mm -hmm. yeah congratulations 
Let's move on to uh, a bit of an, an outlook on several different places across Europe, and that is our usual measles update. Um, unfortunately, there is lots of outbreaks across Europe uh, happening recently, and it usually is Pontus reporting on that, but uh, this time it will fall on me. So uh, there are three places uh, where new outbreaks have been reported on and uh, one of them is Madeira which is the autonomous region or as part of Portugal where three cases have uh, been reported and they have an epidemiological link which means they are somewhat connected that means that it can be considered an outbreak and uh, at least one of the cases has a link to of, um, an earlier reported Lisbon case. And uh, that means that it is spreading. So uh, what can happen is when vaccination levels do not reach or exceed the level of herd immunity, which is a very high um, ratio of the, the population being vaccinated in in terms of uh, measles. Uh, unfortunately, this can happen. And it also happened in Slovakia, unfortunately, where last summer cases were reported uh, from eastern Slovakia. The town of Drachnov, Drachnov, probably, I don't know how to pronounce it properly, but it's in the Košice region, which is in the eastern part. Mind you, that is close to Ukraine. Mm. So it might have a connection. It's not mentioned in the articles. So the source, the source I use for these, and we usually do, is Outbreak News Today, which uh, I do recommend everyone to read and follow uh, because, wow, they are really well informed about uh, epidemics and uh, different outbreaks of different diseases all across the world. So the Public Health Service of the Slovak Republic reported uh, a couple of days ago that uh, actually at the end of the year 2018 that, um, well, a couple of new cases have been reported. So since September 2018, reports Outbreak News Today, 105 measles cases have been reported in Eastern Slovakia. So that's a lot. Mm. And uh, there will be uh, uh, steps taken to to prevent the spread of, of the disease in, in the future, uh, including medical supervision and uh, expanding the vaccination rates uh, for children under 15 months. So I hope they will be able to keep it in control. And there is another country, Macedonia, which is uh, between Greece and uh, Serbia and Kosovo uh, and Albania and Bulgaria. So it's in the middle of the uh, Balkan Peninsula. And uh, Skopje is the capital where, unfortunately, a measles outbreak have, has been reported again. There have been seven, seven cases uh, appearing in the Skopje area and uh, 12 new cases have been reported since those 12, uh, seven cases had been uh, reported on. So it's happening there as well. 
and uh, measures will have to be taken. And just to uh, get back to Ukraine, uh, and Pontus have um, uh, talked about that uh, extensively, about the situation in Ukraine. But now that 2018 is over, I, I think we have to mention that Ukraine is in a very bad shape when it comes to vaccination rates. And... Um, well, 54,481 uh, was the overall number by the end of the year uh, of cases, out of which 20,000, more than 20,000 were adults and 34,000 were children. It's a huge number. 16 people have died from the complications of measles, uh, out of which 12 were children. So it's... It's something that we have to be on the lookout for uh, all across Europe because the world has now become so interconnected, so open, that if someone contracts the disease, it'll only take a couple of days to start spreading it uh, wherever you go. And if it happens to be in a place where vaccination rates are too low, then this is what happens. So measles should be stopped and it should have been eradicated by now and it could have been but well there are different factors at play here have i brought down the mood properly yeah yeah but <laughs> let me let me end the news segment here with a positive note before we go good, into the really good, wrong good. <laughs> so uh just like uh, jelena just talked about a uh, spanish award for standing up for science we uh, in the skeptical movement have our awards. I, I talked about that as well on the last episode. We talked about skeptical awards in Europe. And the Swedish Skeptics has now uh, announced the winner of last week's uh, Enlightener of the Year award. It, the announcement came on the 2nd of January. There was also a negative award, but I will take that as the really wrong segment. <laughs> the positive award, the Lightner of the Year, went to a popular TV show called, in translation, Ask Lund. And Lund is then is a university city. So what it is, is uh, listeners, viewers write in uh, or they submit their questions to a panel of professors or experts and they uh, reply as best as they can on those questions and scientific questions and it's a very good show they are doing the science in in a fun way they are doing it uh, with um, uh, well humor they've been criticized a bit for being a little bit too much like you know too light-hearted but the science in the show is is very very good they they do it the right way from that point of view and if you have to be a little light-hearted to get people to to view it i don't mind they have over a million uh, viewers per uh, per week and that's very big considering sweden only has 10 million uh, people in total so a tenth of the population actually watches this program so they are the enlighteners of the year in Sweden. Good. Congratulations. And keep mm -hmm. doing that, please. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. How long, how long has the, the award been uh, given out? Since the, uh, 1987, I think. Yeah. Mm, okay. So it's, it's over 30 years. Wow. That is impressive in itself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Okay, thank you very much. And uh, mm-hmm. you said that uh, you were going to talk about uh, the other awards that uh, you gave out, uh, for the negative ones. So, um, since that will be our really wrong segment this week, let's move on to that. Oh, yes. So uh, if people were uh, at QED or at the Skeptic Camp just before QED this year, uh, last year, I should say now, uh, they already have heard of this um, because I, I made a talk about this guy in um, there, the 10 minute talk and five minute uh, of, of uh, questioning afterwards that they do. We had 20 like talks like this. So, mm-hmm. But unless you missed it, uh, the really wrong prize and the bewilderer of the year i know bewilderer is not really good english but that's <laughs> the best translation i can say somebody who bewilders the public that award from the swedish skeptics went to thomas Eriksson, who is a an author he is a presenter he a talker he is a, he 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 gives a lot of presentations to companies when it comes to team building and how to build a better company, etc., etc. The problem is he is full of uh, feces. He is <laughs> he is talking about something called disk analysis. He's wrote, written a book called uh, "Surrounded by Idiots," and the disk analysis is actually not his idea. It's a way of classifying people into different personalities into dominance, inducement, submission, and compliance. Basically, you rate people on two axes, whether you're reflective or active, or whether you are... uh, And then on the other scale, if you're task-focused or people-focused. And depending on how you reply to, to questionnaire, you become... You, you get classified with different colors. So you can be a red one, a g- yellow one, blue one, or a green personality type. The problem is with this, this is an old, almost 80-year-old uh, idea and, and theory, but it's never been proven. And uh, <laughs> it's it's not correct. Nobody's ever been able to show that that's a good way of, of classifying people. And he, uh, Thomas Eriksson, in this book, Surrounded by Idiots, he ex- he gives the impression that this is uh, very scientific. He calls himself, uh, or at least he did call himself, a behavioral scientist, although he has no academic credentials at all. And um, it's been extremely popular. They've sold uh, the, the cover of the latest version I've seen, or the latest uh, uh, edition I've seen, says they've sold more than 800,000 copies of this book again in sweden with 10 million people that means it probably uh, a copy of his book in in uh, every third household in sweden and it's all um, bullshit it's wrong he he, has, he doesn't know what he's talking about uh, psychologists in sweden are very upset about this because it uh, makes an impression of being a uh, very based in in modern psychology and uh, and people are just getting the wrong ideas and g- now people are going around saying oh you're such a red person you're such a blue person and there's no such thing so um he also wrote a number of sequels to this he has uh, and maybe the first sequel is the worst one because it's called surrounded by psychopaths how to avoid being taken advantage of uh, is the subtitle, which is funny because we think he's taking advantage of, of his public, but of his <laughs> audience. Ironic. But it's that's 
dangerous because in this he tells he's a non-expert doesn't know what he's talking about he tells people how to recognize psychopaths mm. and that you know he's actually a lay person telling other lay per- people how to make a, a, a diagnosis of people and um, then he wrote surrounded by bad bosses how to why your boss basically is an idiot uh, and then he um, he realized i guess that uh, managers are people with money who wants to buy books and they wouldn't buy that book so he had to write another sequel called surrounded by lazy people which would which is for the managers to explain why the, why they can't get their uh, employees to do what they want them to do and again all of it is pseudoscience and uh, and wrong just yeah i write wrong so in my in my talk skeptic camp talk i i ended the the show by paraphrasing arthur c clark who said something similar about uh, astrology and i will say i don't believe in this bullshit i'm a blue person and we are skeptical (laughs) good one yeah yeah all right so, uh, congratulations to Thomas Eriksson. Did he go and uh, and uh, get the prize in person? We the, <laughs> to receive the prize. We, no? we will uh, hand out the awards in April when we have our yearly annual meeting. Ah, okay. So it's just it has been announced, but it's not. It's the winners not have been announced, oh, okay. but there will be a ceremony in in early April. Okay, but obviously mm. you will invite him, right? Actually, we we usually don't invite um, the bewilderer, but no. he's very welcome if he wants to come. <laughs> Knowing how he has reacted on criticism before, I I think the chances are minimal that he will want to come. But. Well, yeah, you're probably right. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Pontus. Mm-hmm. And that means that we are almost at the end of the show, but we never end a show without a nice quote. And Yelena, I bet you can't wait to share a nice quote with us. Yes, indeed. And it is a, wa- a quote from William Kingdon Clifford, who was an English mathematician and philosopher of whom we already heard several quotes. Um, I promise this is my last <laughs> quote from him. Do not promise anything that you probably cannot keep. <laughs> no, he said a lot of good things. In regard to the sacred tradition of humanity, we learn that it consists not in propositions or statements which are to be accepted and believed on the authority of the tradition, but in questions rightly asked, in conceptions which enable us to ask further questions, and in methods of answering questions. The value of all these things depend on their being tested day by day. Amen to that. Woohoo! Yes. Woohoo! Yes. Ask questions, people question everything and test your answers <laughs> and yeah and test and don't take anything for granted he didn't say that there but but uh, d- don't start with a conclusion start with the questions and see where it takes you yeah and i think that's a good recommendation for all the year and uh, all the rest of our lives so uh this has been the the first episode of the European Skeptics Podcast, also known as the ESP for 2019. That is the calendar year that is completely arbitrarily decided to be so. But it's a tradition that we're going to follow, unlike we should. 
as skeptics, but never mind. Uh, we do have uh, to have some rules in our lives as well, and just as science does. Okay, so thank you very much, Yelena and Pontus, for joining me uh, this week. Thank you. Thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in, and please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Kisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. All right. So. Okay, what's happening now? Ooh, it's like the dark side thing. But wow. I didn't think it could get... Is it, is it Pontus? Is it Pontus? It is Pontus, yeah. Wow, we thought it could never get any worse. That's amazing. <laughs> you, you, just so... said, you just said that it, it straightens out at a certain level. It and it didn't. Now it, it, it went go way beyond that. It's time now that we um, talked a lot about the the what is it? Fuck <laughs> religion. Okay, um. it makes an impression of being a very Scientolo uh, Scientology. <laughs> a very <laughs> sorry, it's not that bad. This was uh, yeah. This was a. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> It started good, but it became confusing it at the yeah. end. Uh, it, it became a really confusing uh, conclusion, but never mind. It's gonna it's gonna stay there.